Hi, I'm Lorna Meehan, and welcome to Rebel Heroines, a podcast celebrating the rebel heroines of the Greek myths through original audio drama, poetry, book and theatre reviews, and interviews with fellow fans and creatives. In this podcast, the stereotypical and somewhat toxic heroes of the ancient world take a step back as we delve into the stories of the women who shaped their destinies. If you like your Greek myths seen through a feminist lens, enjoy creative adaptations of the classics such as the novels of Natalie Haynes and Madeline Miller, and agree that Hollywood hasn't made a decent movie set in antiquity since the original Clash of the Titans, this is the podcast for you. Medusa to Perseus I can smell your fear, boy. I'd almost forgotten the stench of it. The cold chill up the spine. The breath caught in the delicate dance between life and death. I've not felt fear in so long. I'm free of it, finally. I've earned the right to be an exception. You, though, being what you are, will do terrible things to beat down its constant thrumming. This doesn't bring me any joy, but it does make it easier to bear. Do you like my statues, boy? My macabre museum to male pride. My only companions for so long. I'd forgotten the sound a heart makes when it's terrified. Is she beautiful? The girl you will be gifted with for your daring. <laughs> It won't last, that intoxicating lust. Eventually all this bravado will come to nothing, like everything else. Oh, you don't believe me now. But you will come to loathe all that you love, for the void it cannot fill when your power has faded. I'm glad you're here. I'm weary of this lonely life. Don't think when you swing your bright sword that you slay a creature unfit to live. No, you give the bitterness that has replaced me its happy release. I want you to do it. Come closer. If you dare. Do you hear their eager hisses? They yearn for you. But don't worry. I won't let them have you. Who told you to use your shield as a mirror? 
the ever-wise Athena. <laughs> Maybe after all these years, she's come to pity me. Because this is the only way to peace, away from these impotent would-be killers who could only draw my misery out when they charged and took aim. I enjoyed the exhilaration of it. At first, the curse she generously bestowed. But it faded. I won't make it easier for you. I will be silent and still and docile. Because I am wise too. You must have my head for the sake of your pride, but the victory is mine. Come. I won't fight. I won't even try. So that years from now, your wife at your side, your house in order, your son on your knee as you tell him your tales of monster slaying, you will remember that with weapons you did not earn and magic you borrowed and the gods on your side, you killed a woman while she slept. One that could have stopped you in your tracks and let time make you dust and ash so no one would remember you who kept her eyes closed to spare you, so you would feel the slower, brutal death of your heart turning to stone. Hello, I'm Lorna Meehan and welcome to episode two of Rebel Heroines, the podcast celebrating the women of the Greek myths through original audio drama, poetry, book and theatre reviews and interviews with fellow fans and creatives. In this podcast, the stereotypical and somewhat toxic heroes of the ancient world take a step back as we delve into the stories of the women who shaped their destinies. I released this episode to coincide with International Women's Day, so happy International Women's Day, everybody! This episode is all about Medusa, and I think she deserves some celebrating too. Now, I love the heroes of Greek myth as well. I mean, who doesn't love Odysseus crying to Calypso going, Oh, hey, hot goddess, can we please stop having hot sex on your exotic island paradise because I need to get back home to my crap island and my boring wife and he stays for like eight years. Yeah, sure, Odysseus, we really believe you want to go home. Hilarious. This podcast is all about putting the women at the forefront. And that introductory poem was a poem I wrote as Medusa. And the reason I started with it was because the first thing I wanted to do in this episode was give Medusa a voice. Because in the original myths, she goes unheard, yet has such an impact on the lives of others. Now, in the intro episode, I only really skimmed the surface of the Ariadne myth because I want to come back to her further down the line via some audio drama. 
In this episode, I want to dive a little deeper into the character of Medusa, what she means symbolically in the world of the ancient Greeks, and the impact she continues to have on modern culture. My first encounter with Medusa was through what is, in my opinion, the best film based on Greek mythology, the original Clash of the Titans, made in the year I was born, actually, 1981. Good year. And just going off on a little tangent here about Hollywood doing Greek myth, they rarely get it right for me. They've got the Roman chariot race hero stuff down. I mean, I love Gladiator. But considering how much fodder there is in Greek myth, I'm generally disappointed. I mean, even Clash of the Titans has its flaws. There's so much sex and violence and family drama in the myths and so many modern stories draw on them, albeit indirectly. But I don't rate a lot of direct adaptations. Having said that, I do rate animated series Blood of Zeus on Netflix. I mean, it's not doing anything massively bold in terms of reimagining, but it does the Greek myth as epic soap opera very well and has a new hero at the helm which means there's opportunities for new characters and storylines with what we know and love as the backdrop. So I do recommend Blood of Zeus and if there are any adaptations out there that you rate uh, please let me know about them because I'd love to see more good stuff. So back to Clash of the Titans you remember it. It was on every Christmas. It's got Larry Olivier as Zeus, Ursula Andres as Aphrodite, Maggie Smith as Thetis, and of course, Harry Hamlin as Perseus. Harry Hamlin, who looked a lot like Jim Morrison. And if you heard episode one, you'll know why Jim Morrison is important to me and my love of Greek myth. It's the film with the really annoying mechanical owl and the best one-liner in any film ever in the form of RELEASE THE KRAKEN! Next time you're on top of a mountain and want to feel like a badass goddess, shout RELEASE THE KRAKEN! I dare you. I do it often. This is also one of those films with that cool creature animation by Ray Harryhausen, which still looks pretty awesome today. So Clash of the Titans tells the story of Perseus, another jumped-up son of Zeus, who, because Zeus had his way with Perseus's mother in the guise of a shower of gold, yes, that's right, in a shower of gold thinks he has the right to then go around being a pompous hero. But first, his grandfather puts him and his mother, Danae, into a wooden chest and dumps them in the sea because his daughter dared to get herself pregnant because, you know, it's all her fault. And they wash up on an island ruled by some other pompous king who decides he wants to marry Danae, so sends her prancing braggart of a son off on a seemingly impossible quest to get him out of the way. And Perseus, being Perseus, is like, 
Sure, I can bring you the head of a Gorgon because I'm a badass son of Zeus. I mean, never mind that he's been brought up by an old man who's only ever taught him how to fish. Never mind that he's untested and basically a bit of a country bumpkin. He's like, sure, I'll go be a hero and save my mother from your clutches so she can live on a beach with an old man for the rest of her life, which is much better than being a queen. Off I go. So off he goes to get the Gorgon's head and along the way, with a lot of help from the gods, he basically learns how to be a heroic arsehole gets some fancy weapons, is mean to some poor old ladies by stealing the one eye they have between them. I mean, it's corny, it's cringy, it's pure nostalgia. It's awesome. I love this film. Don't get me wrong, this film hasn't aged well from a feminist perspective, but nevertheless, there's a lot to love. The remake, when they had Sam Worthington from Avatar trying to make Perseus a likeable underdog action hero, really doesn't do anything for me. Though Andromeda, Perseus's love interest, who he saves from the Kraken when she's naked and chained to a rock by waving his gorgon head around, uh, she has a bit more clout in the remake. But it's another example of Hollywood just not really doing anything new with Green Myth. So in the original Clash of the Titans, Perseus finds himself at the edge of the world in some ruins surrounded by men who have been turned to stone. And there's the typically tense action sequence you'd expect where this bloodthirsty, snake-headed monster with her deadly tail hunts Perseus and he manages to chop off her head before he looks into her fatal gaze because Athena tells him he can look at her reflection instead through his shield. Clever. Something he never would have figured out on his own. So the monster gets beheaded. Her head is then weaponized by Perseus, who uses it to defeat the Kraken and anyone who disagrees with him. In one myth, he turns a whole wedding party, his own, I think, to stone because they disrespect him. Her head basically gives him the power to go around being an arse. Yet still, he gets the girl, he gets the kingdom, he gets the reputation as a badass hero. And that was my first encounter with Medusa. And because we just see her in this film as a monster, we figure, hey, good for you, Perseus. But what's Medusa's story? For this, I'm going to draw heavily from Pandora's Jar, a great non-fiction book that sheds light on the women of Greek mythology. And something surprising for me actually has a lot of examples of how back in the ancient world, the women had a lot more clout in the original myths than you might think. And it's actually a lot later that the marginalisation came in. Can you guess who wrote this awesome book? Yeah, Natalie Haynes, of course. Hey, Natalie, I'm also a fellow Brummie. So, you know, drop me a line if you're listening. We could go cherry reds, have some carrot cake, talk Greek myth goodness. would love to hear from you. So a really satisfying fact 
that I found out from this book was that it's most likely that the Perseus myth was invented after the Gorgon myth to explain why Medusa became a disembodied head. So far from her being tacked on to the hero's myth, it's likely she was there first. So Medusa is the mortal sister of the Gorgons. Though they share sea monster parents, for some reason, instead of being a fearsome flying monster, she's mortal. Her sisters, on the other hand, are so scary, grown men run away screaming. It's not clear exactly how monstrous Medusa is before her transformation, but she's beautiful enough to catch the eye of Poseidon, god of the seas, who in the earliest version of this myth by Hesiod has an ambiguous liaison with her. But when we get to Ovid, which is the more well-known version, he makes it very explicit that she's raped by Poseidon. This happens in the temple of Athena and far from empathising with her, Athena punishes her, not Poseidon. Not that she could really pit herself against him, though they do have a rivalry throughout Greek myth. Athena basically punishes Medusa by turning her hair into snakes and making it so everything she looks at turns to stone. Athena, I think, is a good example of how By this point in history, patriarchal structures were already firmly in place and the goddesses of old were very sanitised. The Greek goddesses are full of vanity and pettiness and underhand cunning, not that the gods are much better really. And far from being an ally to mortal women, Athena is completely indifferent to them really and is revered by Zeus and men alike for being wise in the ways of war. She's very much one of the boys, but also, crucially, a virgin. So she remains untouchable, which is what makes Medusa's fate at her hands so harsh. Because what did Medusa do to deserve this? Nothing. She did nothing. It wouldn't have been seen as a problem whether she was assaulted or seduced. The focus would have been on how her power serves men. There's this problematic interpretation from one vein of modern feminism that Athena unwittingly did Medusa a favour by making her so ugly no man would ever go near her again. Which brings me to what I think is the crux of this myth. This myth for me is all about vanity. The vanity of heroes going around being dicks to women in their pursuit of power. The vanity of the gods going around doing much the same and endorsing it in their offspring. The vanity of goddesses who don't like it when mortals brag that they're more beautiful than them. There's this whole obsession with physical beauty and In the case of Andromeda's mother, Cassiopeia, she is so vain, she almost gets her daughter killed. We see again and again how it's desirable for women to be beautiful, but that they shouldn't get any ideas about it. And that for a woman to be ugly is for her to be little more than a monster. Medusa's tragedy is that she's the least vain out of all of them. You know, you don't see her going around going, I'm so beautiful, I'm more beautiful than Athena, check me out. Now, 
Cassiopeia brags that her daughter and herself, I think, at one point, is more beautiful than all the sea nymphs. And who's their dad? Poseidon. So even after Andromeda gets saved by Perseus, Cassiopeia can't get away with that because Poseidon can't be doing with sea nymphs moaning in his ear all day. So he straps Cassiopeia to a chair hurls her into the cosmos and she has to spend half the year stuck in the stars upside down and uh, that incidentally is the story behind the constellation of Cassiopeia and it's a pretty horrible fate and I just want to share with you a poem that I wrote about Cassiopeia I explored the idea of Cassiopeia's absolute defiance in the face of her punishment so Here's my Cassiopeia poem. Yes, I am beautiful. And maybe when I was hurled into the firmament by his briny hands, strapped down so I knew my place, upturned in an effort to bleed out my pride, I was exactly where I wanted to be, so all the world could bask in me. Half the year, blissfully empty of expectation, in the other half, full once more, but still not sorry. What else is there for one such as I, too much for a god and his adoring minions, too bored by mortality and all its destruction and monsters, than to shine victorious forever without having earned it through action? In this, I am much like the gods. So by all means, put me above you, look up, and know your place. So yeah, that's my Cassiopeia poem, and I really enjoyed writing her defiance, her rallying cry for not being cowed down, for refusing to know better. She's the only woman in the film and the myth who's got the same prideful clout afforded to the goddesses. Medusa is really there to be killed, Andromeda is there to be beautiful and saved. I just wanted to talk about Cassiopeia in contrast to Medusa because of this theme of vanity. And this brings me to why I think Medusa is a rebel heroine rather than a victim. To me, it's what she doesn't do up against what the other people in the myth are doing both to her and to each other. At the beginning of the Medusa myth, she doesn't go around bragging that she's beautiful, nor does she seem to be ashamed or afraid of her monstrous sisters, and likewise, they seem to care for her. After she's assaulted by Poseidon and punished by Athena, she doesn't march up to Olympus and turn her aggressors to stone. 
And to be honest, you know, who could blame her if she did? She doesn't go off on a rampage and use her power to make herself a queen of Greece, which is essentially what Perseus uses her head for afterwards. She protects herself and others from this deadly power she never asked for that essentially isolates her from everyone. She also doesn't give up and throw herself off a cliff. She endures. And then Perseus comes along. A pivotal difference between the film and the original myth is that in the original myth, he kills her while she's sleeping. He basically kills a woman while she sleeps with help from the gods, primarily the goddess who punished Medusa in the first place for the crime of being raped. That is messed up. And even in death, she's given no peace because her power is used to wreak vengeance on Perseus's enemies. I mean, I know these are myths and are very much of their time, and I know Medusa is essentially fictional. However, there is a reason these myths persist in fascinating us. To me, Medusa, as she is in these myths, can easily be seen as a victim by the modern audience. But to me, what she symbolises now, and I think what she symbolised then, is the patriarchy's fear of powerful women. Women they can't tame, women they can't control or beat into submission, women who can defend themselves, who can say, no, touch me and I will literally turn your balls to stone along with the rest of you. She has to have her power taken from her so it can serve these ideals of pride, heroism, vanity... Like, never mind that she didn't ask for this power and only acquired it through violence done towards her. Another nice fact from Pandora's Jar is that Medusa's blood has the power to bring the dead back to life. So for all the damage her power can wreak, for all the damage done to her, her essence can essentially have the greatest power of all, the power over life and death. So if there's one wronged woman in Greek myth who deserves a story told from her perspective, it's Medusa. And this is something Natalie Haynes, love you Natalie, delivers once again in her latest novel, Stone Blind. Here, Medusa is at the centre of the narrative and like Ariadne, she's really just a young girl living alone with her fearsome sisters who she's quite different from. They're not quite sure what to do with her, but they love her all the same. She doesn't know much about her estranged sea creature parents. She doesn't know much about the mortal world and this makes her vulnerable. The myth plays out as you'd expect, but with the pivotal difference that we see the full impact of the injustice against Medusa. There's these lovely descriptions between chapters of the creatures Medusa has unwillingly turned to stone, which is a really nice touch. And the character of Athena 
is very interesting because we see how she is a young goddess eager to prove herself and she is completely confused by these messy mortals and that kind of makes her punishment of Medusa all the more callous. The bits with her and Hermes trying to explain to Perseus how to be a hero are hilarious because he makes it very hard work. I also love the moments where Natalie breaks the fourth wall and says, don't feel sorry for him, he's a tool, which is very amusing. This is a great book. It would make a great movie. I'm also an actor, Natalie, just so you know, just putting that out there. There's also another novel where Medusa is at the centre of her own story by Jesse Burton, who wrote The Miniaturist, and I highly recommend it. Again, as with the Ariadne Awakes novel in episode one, this is a great version of the myth for young adults and has really lovely illustrations. In this novel, Medusa's snakes have names and distinct personalities, which is a really interesting detail that humanises Medusa further. At first, I wasn't sure about it because Medusa and Perseus meet without him knowing who she is at first. And they talk for a while and have a kind of tentative blossoming romance. And at first I was like, really, she's going there? But Then the truth comes out and the relationship unravels and there is a very satisfying twist which I shall leave you to enjoy. So, the treatment of Medusa by the gods, the treatment of many mortal and immortal women by the gods, where does it all stem from? Where do we pass the buck? It's Zeus. The problem of Zeus. Zeus, the god of thunder, king of the gods, who, once he has won his kingdom, seems to spend the majority of his time seducing, well, raping women, and no one can really stop him, and he doesn't really help them out much after he's had his way with them, when his vengeful wife Hera terrorises them. Why? because it keeps her busy and makes it easier for him to move on to the next one, presumably. Zeus is the ultimate sexual predator. And this is where I'd like to big up another poetry collection by the fantastic Fiona Benson. Her collection, Vertigo and Ghost, updates Zeus in the modern world as a serial rapist who gets away with it because the system serves him and they are really haunting poems very impactful and I just want to do a short one for you called Zeus in the Electric Chair Madcapped Zapped At home in the lightning No way to kill him Monstrous Jiggered laughing. Oh, it's a horrible image. Great poem. And 
Zeus sets the precedent for the behaviour of the other male gods and all this symbolic myth throws up the fundamental horror of patriarchy's upholding of violence against women going unpunished. And I just wanted to bring this back to Medusa by flagging up an interesting statue by Luciano Garbati, which at one point stood outside the court where Harvey Weinstein was tried. It depicts a naked, attractive, calm, defiant Medusa holding the decapitated head of Perseus in one hand and his sword in the other. And when this was trending as a meme, the caption under it said, Be grateful we only want equality not payback. And this statue created a lot of controversy. On the one hand, it's about time we saw the reverse of the many statues over the years depicting Perseus as the conquering hero, holding up a woman's severed head triumphantly. On the other hand, why is she naked? Does she have to be naked? It's interesting that the snakes are sort of more like dreadlocks, that she's not really monstrous. It throws up an interesting debate. It's really an example for me of how over the years, through art, through culture, Medusa is a prime example of the person who has been othered who has been demonised, and we still do this today in so many ways. Another revelation from Pandora's Jar for me was that a lot of classical art, far from portraying Medusa as a snake-haired monster gore, shows her as just a woman. There's a lot of food for thought around this statue and other depictions of Medusa in art over the years, so check some of them out. I'd like to end this episode with a poem written by my friend Math Jones, who is a actor and a poet, and who wrote this poem in the voice of Medusa addressing Zeus, pulling him up on his crimes against women. And we both agreed that this poem should be done in a female voice. And I decided to ask my friend, Jemima Hughes, who is a fantastic poet from Birmingham. And I wanted to ask her to record it because of her lived experience of sexual violence. And her poetry about her experiences is candid and empowering and is encapsulated in her first collection, Unorthodox, and I'll put the link to Unorthodox, along with all the other book reviews, in the show notes. And I will leave you with Mighty Zeus. Mighty Zeus. I think men taught you this, thinking they were you. Such beauty as lives in thunder, dies in lightning. I would not resist, but with consent, the price of my surrender. I did not choose to live, nor you, nor have the fire stolen, limits to our power. Mighty Zeus, will you listen to your mother? She cannot be escaped. You burst from her secretly with her permission, caught you as you fell, 
When the fates have cut, there is an emptiness we walk into. Further spins the tale. Thrusting life does not need to be forced. Mighty Zeus, see the little men, hunkered under shields, who claim your aegis. See the women spread beneath their heels. This is not the way of things. This must be repealed with thunder. This must slam no into the ears of gold, the swans, the bull, the grinning sun. And this must bring the rain, mighty Zeus. Streaming from the eyes of a king of heaven. Olympus must see you weep. Your queen must see you weep. And all the gods besides must weep in turn. And those I turned, maybe then the spell will wane. And I, Medusa, will be something human once again. Thanks so much for listening. Please let me know what you think. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Lorna Meehan. If you'd like to get in touch, send me any pre-recorded creative stuff on theme. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at lornaemeehan at gmail.com. And before I go, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to a great Greek myth podcast that I've enjoyed called A Temple Wild by Mira Karakitos. I hope I said that right, Mira. And this is a great podcast that rediscovers the myths through the plants and landscapes that shaped them. And Mira lives in Greece. I think on top of a mountain somewhere, which sounds amazing. And she also has another podcast called The Ecstasy Vine Podcast, which is all about reclaiming the sensual landscape of the body and of nature. So there's lots of lovely stuff going on in both those podcasts that I recommend you listen to if you enjoy this podcast. So next month, our rebel heroine is... Persephone, goddess of spring and queen of the underworld. And we'll also be talking about her kick-ass mother, Demeter, goddess of the harvest. We might even pop over to ancient Egypt to meet Isis and Osiris as well. It's going to be quite an adventure. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.